Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, I'm in conversation with Victor Jaikaran. Victor was the first employee at Wipro to be part of Wipro's information technology business. During this conversation, he shared a lot about the early days and how he learned the bonds that he built, etc. And specifically, when I asked him how he got into Wipro, how he chose the company, even though he had offers from a couple of fairly large public sector organizations, it was based on his guide's suggestion and choosing to join a small and growing company. His experience of being part of the team that decided what the systems to be built and also working on technology transfer with a view to make the computers ready to use as soon as possible for their customers. His experience in interacting with various external agencies, including the government of Karnataka, in setting up the Mysore factory. He talks about taking up and playing different roles across organizational functions and how that made him a very rounded professional and the emphasis on processes that helped doing things systematically and consistently and was able to scale. He mentions the deep friendship bonds that were developed in the initial days when they were a small team and having a collegial atmosphere that kept him in the organization for a very long time. He also shares some of the characteristics that are needed for a leader, such as courage, courage to bring in the right people, as well as being ready to let go of people who do not fit. And he talks about a very important ingredient for a startup success, which is fire in the belly. He shares his career tips for both entry-level and mid-career professionals. I enjoyed catching up with Victor after a very long time, and his experience is sure to inspire you as well. Listen now. Hi, Victor. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Hi, Siva. Good to meet you again. Many people may not know that you are the employee number one at Wipro. Yeah. yeah. So before we get to that, probably if you start with your origin story and how you got into IT in general, and then probably your career and how it progressed, and we can take it from there. I essentially started off in Madras. I did my graduation here in Jain College, BSc Physics. Then I did my DMIT in Electronics at the Madras Institute. And then 77, I moved to IAC, where I joined for in ME School of Automation. So when I finished it in 79, we had the campus interviews. So uh, usually those days, the rule was you get the first job and then you're out of campus until you're reckoning. So Dr. Narayan Mahishi used to be a placement officer, if you remember. And he was very strict about it. Yeah. So I got into ITI. That was the first company that came on campus. I just wanted to test it out. So I went, I got it. Then after that, he refused to let me in on any other interview. So I had to miss TBL, TCS, all of that. Not that I was interested, but I just wanted to try it out. What are the kind of questions they ask and stuff. 
then when it was uh, already i had iti they issued an appointment order and then i had isr also in uh, shah sri rikota so i got a job there on my own i just applied through the paper with those two jobs on hand then dr enjero who was my project guide he happened to know a company called wipro with coming for industrial consultancy through csic in at the iisc campus so he said that this company is looking for an engineer who has to work with them start our stuff and do a lot of study in terms of uh, what kind of systems they should choose etc so he said he pushed me into it he said why do you want to join iti join a company which is smaller and a private company so then i decided to go for it i went for an interview with them and uh, mr premji was then the managing director and one mr ashok narsimh was the general manager they had come down so it was about about half an hour of interview nothing major they didn't ask any technical questions but basically they chose me they said they would make the offer i enjero convinced me that is better than what i could uh, do with the nisro or iti so i joined wipro sometime i think in august 1979 so that's how i started off with wipro for the first year we i worked out of digital lab in iisc school of automation because that was uh, we didn't have an infrastructure in place so they wanted me to sit there and actually do all the system studies and product evaluations and stuff so that's how i started off and for one year we were in the institute i was in the institute before we moved to our own uh, facility outside in dickinson yeah i remember that that was the lab where uh, we met when i was doing my be project yeah yeah and after that you went on to do a lot of other interesting things it was i mean wipro is a, a great experience because i know i got to do everything that i wanted both in terms of what the company wanted me to do and what i like to do myself so initially i was part of the uh, team that decided on what system we should uh, go for so i did a lot of system evaluation and then spec comparison and all that then we would discuss then uh, ashok narsimhan was the one who ultimately decided on which system he would do he would get and then they decided to get the system sort of technology transferred from the us and because they were more interested in making companies use it as ap as soon as they get the system their applications can run on it so that was the intention we went in for a system in sometime around 1980 uh, april or may you know dr sridhar mitta joined as the r&d manager and he was also at iisc for a couple of months before we started the uh, new office in dickinson road and then i moved on to a hardware specific role till then i was more on system spec and stuff and dr mitta came in as the r&d manager then there were two other people one was dr sadashivam who joined as the hardware boss and so dr rao who joined as the software head so under them they started forming the teams and i got moved into hardware i did everything from um, uh, system design to testing to purchasing bill of material everything i in fact the first year i did a lot of uh, interfacing with the government of karnataka in terms of getting a place in mysore to start the factory and do all of the uh, they call it the face manufacturing program did a lot of documentation help for the project team at wipro bombay is a whole set of tasks which i thoroughly enjoyed i won't say that i even uh, had any problem with it it was wonderful then sometime around 82 81 december is when the mysore factory was built 
and they started work. They didn't build it. They had another place they rented. So I moved to Mysore and for a year, I was part of the team that helped set it up in Mysore. The factory was built and we moved all our systems there, set up the testing, set up the subcontracting for manufacture, all of that. And then I came back in uh, 83 to Bangalore. That's when we had our office on 88 MG Road. I mean, first we were in Dickinson Road, then moved to 88 MG Road, which was the Times of uh, uh, India building at that point. Or maybe they moved later, I'm not sure. From that time onwards till around 84, I was into essentially uh, hardware design and uh, subsystems and all that. Then Wipro started Wipro Systems uh, Division which was a software-only division with the intention of breaking into the software market, which was then essentially Microsoft products like VCCalc and all of that. It wasn't a very successful venture, but uh, my boss, Ashok Narasimhan, moved there, so I also moved there. He asked me if I would come. I said, I'll come. So that became a separate entity. I was with them till 8-8 when I went back to Wipro Infotech. That is a hardware company which sold systems into India. So it was uh, it was like... Fantastic journey in the sense, first it was hardware, then I went into software, developed software for system, ported uh, the operating system onto PC hardware. That was, again, a very challenging thing. Worked with machine-level software, machine code. Then from 90, when I came back to Vipro Infotech, I was uh, sort of, it was it had already grown big. So I felt I was sort of accommodated in Vipro Infotech because uh, I was one of the earlier employees. But then Dr. Mitta gave me a nice opportunity when we had a uh, project with the VLSI technology of the US. They were wanting to do uh, a chip design as a service, get the team tra trained on it so that we could do design work for VLSI tech down the line. So I went as part of the team that started the activity. That was in 90. So we are part of the teams that designed the, the chip for Apple which VLSI did for them. So that's how the ASIC uh, thing in Wipro uh, started off. So I was glad to be part of that. A lot of learning uh, and uh, an excellent team. I think overall, I enjoyed the uh, fun I had working with both my peers and team members under me. It was a fabulous experience. My bosses, you know, had the sort of the best bosses I've ever had were all in Wipro. Yeah, that's great. No? Starting with you know, hardware, software, then services, solutions, etc. Yeah. So when you started, and you were, you said you were doing the initial you know, project study and all that, and you also mentioned that uh, one of the goals was to make these systems readily usable. Yeah. So what was considered as the role of software or applications in those days? I, for me, as a guy who came out of Indian School of Science, my understanding was the system should uh, run PDP-11 software or uh, an IBM OS or something like that. PCs were not even known that time. But what I didn't know was that uh, the user was interested in running an application which would solve his problem or her problem. So that was the foremost thing on uh, the mind of the user. And already there were companies like HCL, which was active in the market. DCM was active. PSI was active. So Wipro had to make a dent into that. So what they did was we had a technology transfer from a company called Sentinel. They moved, they bought the system, and then they indigenized the system. And essentially the OS was entirely 
bought out OS. It was not an OS that we designed from scratch. Later on, of course, Wipro had a Unix ported on their hardware, IRM exported on their hardware, all of that. But the first thing that they did was get the OS so we have applications we can readily develop on top of that. So there was an app uh, software team that uh, was ready to go and do uh, stuff like general ledger, then purchasing, sales crossing, all of that. They were able to quickly develop it on top of the OS and then supply customer. In fact, uh, those days, every uh, uh, customer shipment or every customer order used to be a big thing. And uh, I think our first customer was Alpha Systems in Bangalore. Then we had a big win in uh, UB, that is United Breweries. So every time we get an order, we ship it out of Mysore. So we used to develop the whole system. The whole manufacturing was the rented house in Gokulam, in Mysore. So we were part of that. So we would assemble the system, then get it out, get it excised, uh, process, and ship it out. So it used to be a great thing those days. So we've done everything from nuts, bowls, dismantling, putting it on the cart, the trucks and stuff like that. It was fun. But the, but the key thing was the software team was, was there right then. I mean, we had a, a, for the system software, we had a fairly big team. And also for application software, they quickly had uh, who were called customer support engineers who were very uh, capable in the software side. They quickly picked up what was needed from the customer, something like a, a business analyst or somebody. Else. So they did that. So that was, uh, ultimately, it was the customer who used the system. If the system was not usable by the customer, then whatever we did by way of sales wouldn't be of use. And the next thing you mentioned was getting into the hardware side. You said pretty much all functions that you needed to do, including interfacing with the government and so on. Yeah. It's probably what we call as the, you know, the startup mode nowadays, yeah. where uh, you need to be like a Swiss knife, not being able to do everything. Yeah. So how was that experience for you? And then did you prepare for that? Or after you got in, was there something that uh, you needed to reorient yourself on? I had to reorient myself. Because if you see, uh, Wipro was at a different frequency altogether. Being a 50 crore company is very nimble and very aggressive. And their timelines were always uh, yesterday and the day before. It was never like you have another 10 days, get it done. So I had to interface with the Indian Institute of Science. Indian Institute of Science being a, a research institute will operate on its own timelines. I mean, you give something, they will take the usual time to process that, whereas the company will want it to be, the stuff to be given, signed off and get gotten back. So that was a major uh, challenge that I had. And I had to get Wipro used to it and also IAC used to it. Of course, Dr. Injera was a big help there. Then, of course, interfacing with the government was an entirely different thing. I didn't know. I never enjoyed it also because we had to go, give our plans. The guy would look at it, won't even bother to turn around and say anything to me. So I will go day in and day out, submit the form, then wait there. Then I'd be told that the guy has gone out. So it was like getting loan from the bank. <laughs> so it, it was difficult. But what happened was sometime around uh, after Dr. Mitta joined, uh, Mitta got on board one Mr. S.G. Jairam. I don't know, maybe you will know him. He was in the control systems lab or the mechanical workshop of automation. He was a versatile man. He knew how his way around in government offices. So he was the one who did all the spade work, took over from me, sort of uh, got me through the 
sharp learning process of what to do, how to meet, when to go, when not to go, all of that. So he did all the work then. And I gradually eased myself out of it and got into more technical stuff. So that's when I gave over that to him. And he did a, he was a fantastic addition in the early years when we had to do all the running around to get approvals and even for excise approvals, all of that. Then Wipro had a separate uh, commercial accounting department, which handled all of those uh, requirements. So they would be made because Wipro had, didn't have the habit of uh, greasing palms. They would be very clear about that. No money to be given or claimed. So everything had to be done as per the law. So whatever paperwork is to be done, they will do it. Any number of times, they'll do it. The best they will do is keep waiting, go and sit at that guy's table and make sure that he passes something, sometime or the other that will get. So that was a learning for me. So how was that learning or the ability to adjust to a completely new kind of business or a business model dealing with different stakeholders, etc.? help in either the hardware part, the infotech, when you said you moved back there, or when probably something completely, one of the early organizations to do design as a service. So even software services was fairly nascent at that time. See, I think the ability to work with different kinds of people and organization I think was a given. See, Wipro, essentially from day one when I started, uh, it has been an organization where you will get all the help that you need to settle down. If you needed help from your peers, you would get it. If you needed help from your subordinates, you would get it. Or from your bosses, you would get it. And there was a clear kind of meritocracy where if you didn't agree with your boss, you could go to your boss's boss. So if you didn't agree to something, you can openly disagree in a meeting. Right up to Pranji, you can... You can voice your opinion. You don't have to just shut up because your boss said so. So that was something that I learned over the years. And of course, initially, when you're a junior engineer or just an R&D engineer, you don't have much of issues with that. But gradually, you come to know how it is done. And then you know the value of the organization. So whatever I learned by way of people management, whatever I learned by way of working with customers, all of it I learned entirely in Wipro. And I was able to put that to good use when I moved out and to head an organization in Chennai. Because though the culture was very different in Chennai from Bangalore, and it took me a bit of time, but I think I was able to transfer a good deal of those practices here. And the other thing was in Wipro, the first one year, it was I was sort of testing the water because I didn't know where it was taking me because I was doing most of the stuff was all on paper, nothing on hand, except that I would assist some of the project students in digital lab. But what happened was after that, work became extremely interesting and challenging. So we used to work something like uh, 18 hours a day, because I'd work from morning 8.30 to say six, and then go to my room, mm-hmm. sit and decode the stuff in the, in the night, late mm-hmm. till late night. So it was like a charged up atmosphere, and we thoroughly enjoyed working. We were about uh, four of us. Engineers were all bachelors. So for us, night or day didn't seem very different. So it was a, the best part of our life that we enjoyed. But how was it when uh, you had to even go and talk to customers or prospects about the VLSI design or doing that out of India? 
it was not easy. Vipro was not the first to get into design services, though, because PCS was way ahead in the game. And uh, as a service, of course, TBL was also ahead. But Vipro, when the whole thing of design as a service started with Vipro Systems, after I left Vipro Systems, when they started, uh, the products didn't do very well. They decided on taking on uh, software projects, both for local customers and overseas customers. And Mr. Mani Subramanian, he joined from TCS and that put it on a trajectory of uh, very good growth. So that's when it started. But then uh, for me, I have I've not missed very many customers. If you ask me the first 10 years of my life in the pro, I didn't meet very well, except that when we had to fix problems. And you usually go when there's a fire burning. Because I remember <laughs> I've gone to ONGC in Express Stars, Bombay when the system was crashing every two hours or three hours. So they would, the guy literally blasted us out of off our feet when we went in. But then we had good customer support engineers who would shield us from uh, the irate customers. So we managed that. But then actually, when you actually do the job for the customer and you uh, fix the problem for him or her, then they literally ate out of your hand, which was, which was a great thing. And that was what Dr. Mutta used to say as making a, a problem into an advantage. Okay. It's a, it looks a problem, but you can make it as a win. So it depends on how you react to the customer. Because what happens is I have found that uh, sometimes I've gone with sales guys to help sell the CAD software, especially Sun Systems. We used to do Sun Microsystems uh, selling in India. So when they go to DRDO, for example, they would take me because I knew ASIC design. So it will help them sell the product to them. So I found that when a techie goes and actually presents the product and tries to tentatively even sell the product, the, the techies on the other side, the customer, they like it. They sort of give you more credence compared to a sales guy. Okay. They think the sales guy generally pushes the product on you, whereas the techie looks at your point of view and then uh, say maybe gives you the real thing. I don't know. It may be a misconception. But uh, it has helped. So that those kind of interactions I've enjoyed. But later on, as you moved on, yeah, I found that that experience was very useful, especially when we had to face customers in the company that is working for here, SEM. We are Japanese customers. I had a lot of good experience with Wipro in meeting with Japanese customers because uh, I had always found that they're extremely finicky and they're very, very careful. I mean, finicky about the dates that you commit and the dates you deliver. And what you commit two years or three years back in a meeting, they've carefully noted it down in their notepad. They'll come back and catch you on that. So all that I learned, which was very useful. And when you make a mistake, you just uh, throw in the towel and say that you're sorry. You don't try to justify. You don't try to beat around the bush. So those are some things that I learned. That has helped with customers. The other couple of points you mentioned, you know, one was that you also moved along with your boss, Sashok Narsimhan. Yes. And then you also hinted at a very small team that was enjoying life and then the culture was great. Yeah. So how have these been useful when you took on other roles? You said that it is also uh, after you left Wipro, some of these things were useful for you. So sometimes during the career, we do not explicitly plan for that, but suddenly those were your peers. Yeah. I've said that now you're the team leader. Okay. Yeah. Or now you become a manager. So how have these been helpful? 
and are these situations that you have also been through yeah i've been through that because that is uh, there there's a time when uh, your peers become part of your team or one of your peers becomes your boss and that has happened in the course of my 20 years at wipro that has happened the good thing about wipro is i think you have uh, they created the sense of a fair play you know for sure that if you had a problem with what you have been rated on etc you could always go to your boss and and have an open discussion with them so here in fact i have had several friends who are very close even now after 40 years we still have great friends who have worked for me and who worked over me and i thoroughly enjoyed it and i that was a learning because the first time i wrote an appraisal for a team member it was very difficult it's always easy to rate somebody as very good is trouble free that guy won't scream at you you don't have to tell him anything mm-hmm. but when you rate somebody as improvement required or just meets expectation it's tough so those are things i learned from my peers from my bosses they had to tell me many times they they got to take a stand and be willing to say why you are saying what you are saying so the wipro had one thing was they had processes in place even when they were a 50 crore company which would stand them in good stead when they are a 10000 crore company which was remarkable when i joined the company they were already a gemmage of uh personal administration and mr d a prasanna who was a top notch man in his field and they had processes of appraisal even then which was extremely they were finicky about it. they would insist that it's done by 31st of march reviews done uh, increments given all of that done so we were i mean that came as a, and when i came to this new company in uh, chennai there was a system in place but i was able to implement all of that here for example in this company yes. when i joined there was this uh, thing called uh, name uh, sex caste i couldn't believe that somebody was mentioning caste on an appraisal so we had to take that out so when i look at it the sense of fairness the sense of openness that they had a lot of those features i was able to bring it in which was very good and the reason that we didn't wipro a lot of times i'm not saying that in wipro 20 years i didn't have any reason to leave or i didn't feel like leaving there were a lot of times when i felt like leaving but the thing that kept us inside wipro was more than anything the friendships that we had inside among us i think that was the one that held us back more than anything that's my personal opinion may not be the opinion of others but those uh, friendships have lasted a long long time so you said that yeah, there have been highs and lows now in terms of any of these new areas that you get into you also mentioned earlier about the software products venture which probably was not as successful as it was expected to uh, how do you handle such disappointments or when things don't go as per plan <laughs> that's actually a loaded question if you ask me it was not at all easy then hmm It was not easy then. For example, when Sashok Nesman left the processes and went, to me it was like a personal defeat because I literally grew up with him. He mm-hmm. took me, and when he left, it was devastating to say mm-hmm. that. But then I also had to, after ten years, I could in twenty twenty I could realize. I mean, twenty two thousand I could realize that uh, Pranji, as the uh, head of the organization, knew when to take some hard decisions. He had to take somebody out and bring somebody in. when he wanted growth he brought somebody in when he wanted sustenance he brought somebody in when he wanted stability he wanted somebody in so i think those are the difficult decisions that he took and at that point it didn't seem very palatable to me 
But today, when I look back, I think that is the kind of courage that I really admire in the person. And I've seen that right through. People, when they, even I headed a company called Entink. I was a head of engineering. And 2000, they decided to pull that back into Wipro because the um, Supreme had given us two years. He said, two years, I'll give you. If you're not able to break even by then, I'll fold it. So that was the deal. So he took it. And it was tough when that happened. But it, as they said, they pulled the plug. And it was, I had to get used to the idea that sometimes ventures will fly, sometimes ventures won't fly. But that's okay. Because so long as you made an honest attempt and you were clear about your planning and your objectives and your vision, it's okay. So that, that was a big learning. So in today's scenario, when pretty much everybody wants to do a startup and become a unicorn, what should they watch out for? <laughs> that's a, Because I tried the start, I did a startup too, uh, Shiva. <laughs> 2006. But I must say, I, I was not good at it because I think at the end of the day, I think uh, the important thing is you need fire in the belly. There must be something that drives you about what you're doing. You must be a champion or you must feel that the product is going to be a commercial hit or something which has not been done before. I think that is the thing that's needed. Whereas when I started, I don't think I had that kind of fire in the belly. It was not a do or die. And I think that is a fundamental requirement. And the other thing, I've had a lot of my friends, juniors who come and tell me, I want to start do a startup with I ask them why. Uh, they tell me, uh, see, I don't want to report into someone. See, that cannot be a reason to start something. That's my mm. personal feeling. Mm. You start something when you know that an idea will sell or the a product concept will sell or a service concept will sell. I find a lot of people doing that. And uh, I'm, I really admire them. But personally, if you ask me, I don't have that ability. I'm, I'm, I'm a good uh, guy who can handle an operation maybe, but I'm not the guy who, who can create something, champion something, and then drive something to a success. I don't think that fire is there in me. Because I remember when Ashok Nasmi started, I mean, when Prenji and Ashok Nasmi started, I'd gone through their product report or their the vision statement. They did a lot of market study before they came up with it. It's amazing how at every stage we have to have a decision made. And uh, Ashok Nasmi chose Dr. Mitta. And Dr. Mitta had the unique knack of knowing what product would sell, what product is commercially viable, and what product can be made. I think that was the key. They would be willing to uh, uh, make compromises, or be willing to listen to reason. But all of them had that ability. Each one brought in something to the table. And that I saw, uh, that unfolded as we grew. I think that was very important. Going back to the culture theme, when you're working with a technical team of people, and let's say your goals are not necessarily only technical, Say, as a leader, you may have a business responsibility or a larger responsibility. How much of technology should you know or how much, how deep should you be getting into to be successful and then ensuring that the team feels that camaraderie and this and staying together? I think the crucial thing is to get the confidence of your team. The team should be absolutely confident in the decisions that you make. Because I remember I sat in uh, discussions with Ms. Ashok Narsimha. When they come out, he would have almost brainwashed me into doing something. But the fact is, he would be so convincing 
If at some point he just opened the window and said, jump out of the window, he would have jumped out of the window. He would have a method of justifying what he puts forth. Then he'll play the devil's advocate also. Mm-hmm. But the thing was the ability to convince a person and the, in the, and the genuineness with which he comes across. I think ultimately it is the honesty of a person. If the guy is browbeating you into accepting his decision, that's a different issue. I think people see through that very quickly. But when the person is genuine, I think that is important. And especially when you lead a team of uh, extremely capable people, because I have had what you good fortune or whatever you call it, of leading some of the best teams. I'm, in fact, we did a project for Sequent. I remember we had 19 people on the team. And I was supposed to be the general manager handling that and delivering the product. If you ask me, I just only pushed the buttons. I didn't really get into the spec. I didn't really get into the design, no. But I had some people who, who was for them, they just made it their life ambition. They just did it so well. We finished it a month ahead of schedule. And the customer paid us a 10% bonus on the total project cost. Wow. So the question is, if the people who, you, uh, who work for you are convinced that you will do or die with them, they will go all out for you. Because we've, uh, the great thing about uh, Rupa that I've seen is that we have all had at various levels bosses who sort of exemplified and lived that. And that sort of grow the next uh, generation of uh, engineers and managers to sort of emulate that going down. That was great. You also talked about the long hours that you put in, in the early stages and as a team. And nowadays there's a lot of talk about work-life balance. What are your views on it? That's a tough question. See, I, when I started, I had the same problem. I must admit it's not easy problem to solve. When I started, the first year was of course a lot easier. Second year, 80 to 82, before I got married, I used to work on an average 18 hours and then sometimes through Sundays, uh, Saturday, Sunday, I go to church, come back, but work. It was very enjoyable. But the moment I got married, I had a real difficult situation because my wife, we didn't have phones those days to tell my wife that I'm coming late. Mm. And suddenly there'll be a meeting, there'll be a project review, and then we'll get, we'll get stuck till 6.30. And my wife, for all you know, would imagine that I was under a bus or something. So I had a real problem getting away from office, having to tell my bosses and my peers, hey, I've got to go, my wife is waiting. It's, it's tough to say. But then I still remember, I asked the same question to Mr. B.A. Prasanna, who was then the general manager uh, for administration HR. Mm-hmm. He said, Victor, you must work smart, not hard. Mm-hmm. That's easier said than done. I know that. <laughs> Very easy. But what I did was, when I came to a position of managing a team, I made sure that they let my people have that work like that. My, because my boss was like that. Okay. Both Mr. Sadashum and uh, Dr. Rob both had that knack of playing hard and soft. When they, when they knew that you needed that uh, time, they'll give you the time. Mm. When they knew that you needed to push, they'll push you. Because many, many times we've had run-ins. Sometimes I go on a, a vacation. And just as they leave, there'll be a problem in the system and say, Victor, why are you leaving now? This problem has to be fixed. <laughs> I feel torn between the two. There's a train that's leaving in about one hour for which I have to go. And my boss tells me, why don't you fix this problem? Then I once I got sort of in my frustration, I broke up and said, he said, at least once let me go. See, I'm going to see my bride. I mean, they call it in Tamil Punubakar, you know. <laughs> he said, occasion I'm going for that. And he told me I should sit here and do it. He said, no, 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 Victor, go. Go in peace. We fix, we guys will fix it at any cost. You go now. 
So <laughs> that was the kind of give and take we had. Mm. See, the critical thing is that the honesty and truthfulness that you share. When people see that, they are willing to go all out and do it. There'll be a time when they will not be able to, but mm. you need to know the difference. That's all. But the critical thing is the work-life balance is again absolute honesty because I have offered the same thing in when I was heading SCM. We used to have several of the uh, lady employees who were extremely capable. But when they had their children, their babies, you know, they used to say, "Victor, I can't come for about two, three weeks. Can I work from home?" Because this was something like ten years back. So I used to tell them, "By all means, do it," because they knew they will make sure that they put in every hour that they commit to, and they'll get the job done. On the other hand, if somebody says, "Yeah, I'm working, but he's out somewhere wool gathering," we have a problem. I mean. the honesty and and the diligence on the job i think is key to the rate at which i say the technologies are increasing and probably the complexity of the solutions it's no longer i develop one device or i write one program and so on we seem to be playing more as a contributor in a larger ecosystem so even for configuring the solutions for customers and so on from a career proofing perspective what would be your guidance for somebody who's already in it whether it is hardware software firmware or are there differences to make sure that one is able to continue to grow and contribute and second is for people who are considering a career in it do you have any suggestions on what areas they should probably look at or get exposed to the development of uh, this technology is going at a massive rate i agree entirely i think the difference now is if you get into a technology uh, with the only objective of there is a scope for me to make more money in it or be more uh, employable or whatever i still don't think that is an an incentive really because it doesn't help you the same way mm-hmm. when you get into something for the love of it mm-hmm. i think the what you do you should love okay if you don't love what you're doing you have to look for another job that's very simple Hmm. when you get in on a on a morning into your office or on your system i think it should energize you you can't do it and be a be a traveler or side of you just ride on something something is happening i'm a spectator no i can't hmm. i have to be able to understand what is happening be able to contribute and that much charge me up because all the people that i found who of course now the times are very different as you said but in the 35 40 years i have seen are the the people most successful and most enjoyed their career are the ones who really loved what they were doing i think somehow that is not the, if you look at it in fact you won't believe the kind of excuses people give the reason why are you switching why are you making a change from this company to that company the guy tells me they give me a better welcome kit in the other company i mean that's ridiculous i mean if somebody gives you a welcome kit which is fancy with a fancy bag and a fancy laptop mm-hmm. what is that guarantee i mean you you you're barking up the wrong tree at the end of the day because i i'll tell you my experience when we we started with wipro after i moved out of iisc we were in a place in dickinson road and uh, mr premji wipro as a company will not buy stuff very easily they won't invest uh, as capital so they would rent chairs from a company from a place called saleh ahmed i don't know if you know yeah yeah shivajinagar right and you know what will happen sometimes when we sit on the chair and get up there will be small nails which will uh, sort of tear the pant mm-hmm. and those days pants are very expensive and you can't just afford to buy one pant a day kind something like that yeah so it was 
very painful when you saw that. But still, all that was okay. So long as your heart was on the job, it doesn't matter whether you sat on a rented chair or you sat on the ground and debug, doesn't matter. Because now certain things are a given. I mean, people expect an air-conditioned office. People expect a, an IT park kind of a scenario where you, where you start work. But you have to understand that uh, we didn't begin there. We began much more primitive than that. Yeah, so for those considering a career in IT, is it a bubble? Is there still a long runway ahead? I think there is a long runway ahead if we plan sufficiently ahead. The scariest part is that of late, uh, I get a feeling when I talk to a lot of uh, youngsters that uh, we are already incredible India. We have, we have achieved. I mean, the, nobody can do without us. I mean, that's a fallacy because people will overtake us in no time. Like they say in the savannas, a deer has to run faster every day because the lion will eat it. And the lion has to run faster because the deer will outrun. So you have to be conscious there is competition close at heel. And people, the youngsters, that's what I tell whoever I know who comes to me and say, uh, what should I do? Should I do EC or IT? Should I do computer science? I say, do you like the, like what you're doing? Don't get into it because your parents tell you that engineering is the way to go. You can do anything, but you can be in engineering if you if you like what you're doing at the end of the day. But that's that's very important. And we have to understand that there are people close by, close on our heels, who will have a lunch the moment we give it up. I can't not ask you this question. If everybody has to keep running to stay ahead of the others, do you have any tips to stay calm or de-stress? Yeah, my case, I think my uh, faith has helped me a lot and my wife has been a big uh, big support. She's taken very tough times because a lot of times uh, we get stuck in work. We don't think that uh, the people at home really are looking forward to spending time with you or anything because I have been guilty of that also. Because once I remember when I was in VLSI, we went to church and we came back. I left the car in the parking lot with the AC running left my wife and kids inside and went in to just check if the simulation was running okay. This was Sunday. I went in, there was one debug to do. I fixed it, one debug, another debug. And it was about two hours before I realized that my wife and kids were in the car. So it is, when I came back, it was, it hit me really hard. Mm. So what am I sacrificing for what? What stays with me? What doesn't stay with me? I think that's very important. So in my case, I think my faith in God really helped my wife and kids were a huge support to me. They were like champions. They been with me right through. Because at the end of the day, you do everything, but then lose out on your family and what's dear to you doesn't help. Because there have been there have been certain compromises which you have to make. There are times when you have to pull back and say, hey, this is not for me. And but one thing I've never sort of felt that I lost out on this or lost out on that. Everything has been a blessing in disguise. I take it as planned by God to make my life uh, more a pleasant experience in this life and everything is worked out for good at the end of the day that's very nice to hear victor so as we come to the close of this conversation are there any messages or something that we didn't talk about that you would like to share it's uh, been a nice experience i think at the end of the day only thing as i said enjoy the work because that's that's the crucial part and build networks within the company i mean the kind of uh, camaraderie that we need to have, I think that's very crucial to uh, make uh, the place uh, where you work fun. Because one thing my dad told me, I still remember, he said, 
on the day you feel like you get up from your bed and you don't feel like, oh, it's another day, I've got to go and work. That's the day when you quit your job and move to another job. And for me, that's never been a single day that's been like that. Wonderful. So on that note, uh, thanks a lot, Victor, for sharing your personal stories and experience. Thanks, Yuva. Nice to catch up again. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.